Hey, 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 it's Todd Fox here from Halos in the Infield, the podcast, and I'm here joined with my uh, co-host. Dominic Lorenz from Catella Chronicles joining in Todd Fox today. Yes, thank you, Dominique, for being on the show. And then we have a very special guest. You know him, you love him, the one, the only, Mr. Victor Rojas. Please say hello. Gentlemen, how are you? Oh, we're, we're doing great, Victor. Thanks for uh, coming on with us and taking a little bit of time out of your day to discuss some Angels baseball. And maybe we'll have to get into some Frisco Rough Riders as well. <laughs> sure, whatever you guys want. <laughs> actually, let's actually start off with that. You guys are playing pretty good. You're only a game back right now. And, uh, you know, the team is looking pretty promising. What, what are your thoughts on that and, and uh, the job that you're doing over there? Well, I think the job that I'm doing over here is fantastic. I think uh, <laughs> it'd be hard to beat, uh, to be perfectly honest with you. But uh, as, far as, the, as far as the team is concerned, I think uh, I'm of the opinion that last year's team was a lot more talented and deeper uh, from, a, from a talent perspective. That's not taking anything away from this year's club, but um, you know, we've had some ups and downs. We had some bullpen issues, uh, but uh, Bradford's pretty legit. Lighter's going to be legit uh, from a from a pitching perspective. The offense just hasn't been as consistent as we saw last year. And that, that granted, we had Sam Huff here, we had Josh Young here, so we, we had a couple of guys, uh, Davis Wenzel, all, all guys that have moved on uh, to bigger and better things. And Young's probably going to get called up here eventually fairly soon for the Rangers so play third base so uh but overall it's been good it's it's nice to see them uh, they didn't win the first half but uh, like you said a game back in the second half we'll see if, uh, if they're able to make a you know a, a little playoff appearance which would be uh would be nice absolutely how how has the adjustment been for you now helping running this organization and your family getting adjusted to the the, the Texas life and you being home well, the Texas life has been easy for us just because we spent, you know, five years here uh, with the Rangers back uh, 04 through 08 before we mm -hmm. went to MLB. And then we moved back to the, the Metroplex here in uh, the fall of 2014. So it's been it's been home for a while. I mean, Tyler was my son is born here and now he's getting ready to well, he's had started his senior year. So there's a there's some familiarity here, some friendships here um, that go back a long way. And um, so that, that part's been nice and easy. I think the adjustment for them was me being home uh, mm -hmm. once spring training started last year and, and being <laughs> home continuously through <laughs> the spring and into the summer and he's not leaving. So I think that was probably the biggest challenge for them. Uh, but it's been great uh, for me personally, just from the standpoint of, you know, a, a couple of reasons, really. I mean, when I made the decision to, to, to take this job, it, it came out of the blue and we had no other plan other than, okay, this is what we're going to do. And then it turned out, you know, Kim, Kim's health issues uh, ended up having had four surgeries over the summer. So I was thankful that I, I had made the decision that I was home as opposed to having to go back and forth and take time off and, and the like to, from Southern California back here to Texas. And then Tyler prior to, so that was in January. So right, right around that time of last year, he had made the decision to leave tennis behind before his sophomore year and, and, go play baseball. So I've been home for, um, you know, the first two high school baseball seasons, first two summer ball seasons for him. And um, that's been, uh, it's been a godsend really to get a chance to watch him. Uh, I did get a chance to watch him a little bit, especially on the tennis side the last couple of years when I was with the angels, but that's via FaceTime. Um, so it's a little bit different when you're, you're in person, get a chance to talk to him and, 
kind of work with them as well. So it's been it's been pretty good. What a blessing. That's that's good to hear. That's yeah, awesome. For sure. For me, Victor, as someone who has worked in minor league baseball for four plus seasons as a minor league broadcaster and kind of went out of it a little bit during the COVID pandemic and been kind of a fill in this year in the California League. What has been the difference for you from going from broadcaster to front office? What is something you expected to happen uh, becoming a general manager? And what is something you maybe didn't expect to happen that you've really had to navigate and kind of learn through in that front office system in minor league baseball? Um, great question. I, I, you know, I don't know that I really had any real expectations other than, um, the hope that we were going to have a minor league season. So when I ended up taking over in January of last year, mm-hmm. you know, nothing had been determined as a, as far as minor league baseball is concerned because major league baseball had announced in the December prior to that, that they were assuming control of the minor leagues and they cut the teams that they did, um, but we had no idea what the plan was going to be. So for me, it was kind of, you know, figuring out uh, what we're supposed to do staffing wise. If there is going to be a season, what are we going to do? If there isn't a season, what's the game plan there? Um, getting acclimated to everything here in the, in the ballpark and uh, just kind of bringing it back to life. Uh, and I think that's, that's, that was the fun part last year. Um, you know, hiring a staff. And I think when I got here, there was, I was the fifth or sixth person, you know, we've had a couple of folks that were uh, on hiatus because of COVID. And then, and then, you know, we find out the season's going to start and I had to ramp up to a to staff and we're over 30 full-timers now. So um, that's been, that, that, I think that was the biggest shock to be perfectly honest with you. Um, from uh, other, other perspectives, I, I really, there really hasn't been um, anything, there hadn't been a desire. And I think, I think purposely, no desire to, I'm going to go up in the booth and do and help Zach do a couple of innings or none of that stuff. I haven't, not because, you know, I, I, I don't love broadcasting. I just, I just felt that it's, you know, my role is different now. And I think, you know, in Zach Bigley, I think we have a talented broadcaster and I think he's got a chance to, to be successful down the road uh, at the higher levels, but, and, and I wouldn't want to go in and impose my will and or, you know, cast any shadow or have him look over his shoulder or anything like that, that, oh, this is what I want to ultimately do is go back to broadcasting and I'll do it at the minor league level. No. Um, so I, I think I've been very cognizant of that and making sure that I didn't, you know, uh, you know, if he came to me and asked me some questions, I'm happy to help, but I never once had that craving to do that. Now I did get forced into action last year as we had a, uh, on the, on the PA side, our PA announcer's family was in an accident in Arkansas on vacation. So he had to leave. And so I ended up doing uh, a couple of games on the PA. Now that was fun. Uh, <laughs> I didn't have to study for anything. I didn't have to look up anything. I just had to read. I mean, it was very Ron Burgundy like to be perfectly honest with you. Just, just follow the script. Yeah. And, uh, script so that, your that friend. Was, yeah. Yeah. That's it. So it was, so was kind of cool, but um, I think, I think getting back into the operating side of the business was, it is a little bit, it's a lot different than it was when I was doing it in Newark and 01 and 02. So I think nomenclature, just the way things are done from a sponsorship standpoint, they're just, you know, it's been 20 years, obviously. And it's just, you know, getting up to speed on that stuff was probably the biggest challenge. Okay. Oh, 100%. Oh, go ahead, Donnie. 
No, just like I said, being I've been a part of, you know, ticket sales, sponsorships, different things through my minor league baseball career thus far. And as a side note, I know your broadcaster pretty well, Zach. We knew each other back in our days in the California League. And I do agree with you as a complete digression sidebar. Zach is a phenomenal broadcaster. And you're, you guys are very lucky to have him out there in Frisco. No, there's no doubt. And uh, he had a very good interview with the Milwaukee Brewers this past offseason. And, you know, uh, they had very good things to say about him when after the fact, when they went in a different direction, um, he made it tough on them, which is which is good, which is what you want to hear. It never it's not what you want to hear as a minor league broadcaster, because I certainly heard my share of rejections while I was in Newark. Uh, and they're never fun. I believe I still have some of the letters that were written back to me. Um, <laughs> but um uh, but it, it, at least it's good that they feel at that level that you can't be a guy or a person uh, to sit in that broadcast booth and, and you've got the chops for it. So that's, I guess that keeps you going. It keeps you motivated. Oh, absolutely. It keeps you grinding for more. I, there's so many similar stories, at least for me in the broadcast, you know, broadcasting aspect of letters or emails of saying thanks, but no thanks and, and things in those regard. But it keeps you grinding for more each and every day that, you, you know, you put the headset on and, and call baseball games. For sure. For sure. I had a question, Victor. When one of your players gets called up, uh, do you make the, the, you know, the notification to that set player that he's getting called up or sent down, or you leave that up to the manager? No, I don't have – I have zero say with any of that stuff. I get the emails from the Rangers. Um, okay. You know, tr- travel arrangements and, you know, who's being assigned to us or who's going somewhere else. But other than that, I, I really have very little to do with the – day-to-day baseball side of things other than saying hello to the guys uh, on the field and talking to our manager, Jared Gettert, and a good guy. He's a great guy because he's from Kansas. So we have a lot of, we have a lot of things in common. So, yeah, yeah. Uh, so especially this time of year when the chiefs are starting up. And so we got, we have good conversations about that stuff. Oh, speaking of which real quick thoughts on Len Dawson. Uh, Lenny. So, See, I grew at the time that I grew up in Kansas City. Lenny was doing the news, the sports on the on the news, the local mm-hmm. news. And so, you know, obviously growing up as a Chiefs fan, yeah, I knew who Len Dawson was. But like for me, like it's Len Dawson on my TV. You know, that's yeah, he was the man. And, uh, you know, I've got a number. I got a number sixteen jersey hanging mm-hmm. up in my closet. Uh, mm-hmm. I've got way too many jerseys uh, that have <laughs> Chiefs colors on them. But um, sixteen is the one that's special to me, and it's. Uh, you know, there, some of the tributes that I saw uh, throughout, uh, you know, social media, especially in Kansas City with the number 16 lit up on a building and stuff like that. It just just shows how much of an impact he had in that community. Just a great dude and uh, amazing quarterback. And um, it was Lenny. Were, Lenny was the reason why Joe Montana had to wear 19 in Kansas City. Yeah. And uh, uh, that's uh, that's saying something. That sure is. You weren't gonna you weren't gonna take that sixteen from the Kansas City Chiefs, that's for sure. No, no, he just flipped the uh, the six around and made it a nine. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Pretty much. Um getting getting back to things here, uh, you know, with, with the baseball club, the Rough Riders doing you know, doing good and trying to make that second half push. Um, do you do you miss Gooby Tuesday? Do you do you think of Gooby on Tuesdays? Just out randomly. I don't. I don't, to be perfectly honest with you. I, I think Gooby Tuesday is overplayed already. It needs to – you need to change it up a little bit. There's only so many questions you can ask, you know. Uh, yeah. So, 
I, I miss Gooby. I don't miss Gooby Tuesday. No. <laughs> Maybe we I'm needed. Being a... perfect, I'm being perfectly honest. With you. <laughs> Maybe we needed Victor Fridays or something. We need something to kind of counteract the Gooby Tuesday a little bit. There you go. Uh, I'm a I'm a big believer of uh, less is more. Less of me is the perfect amount. So, <laughs> but, you know, with everything going on, kind of tying it back into the Angels ties a little bit. Everything that's going on with the Angels this season. Um, before we get into some kind of gritty details, what is in during your time with the Angels? What was your number one favorite call from the booth that you did? The 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 pinnacle during your your run with the Angels. Gritty details. That sounds ominous, and I can't wait. Uh, <laughs> so, favorite call. Um, God, I I was fortunate, really, to be perfectly honest with you, with the eleven seasons there that uh, you know with, with Trouty coming up and. Um, all the things that happened, whether it's Santana's no-no or, or Weaves. Um, and then, you know, Albert's 3,000 hit, 2,000 RBIs, 400 or 500, 600 home runs. I mean, there was just a, a number of different things. Um, the Skaggs no-no, um, you know, mm-hmm. after after Tyler passed away. Um, I, I don't know that I could – I always said that Weavers was very cool because of – the fact that he's a SoCal kid, Long Beach State, drafted by the Angels, came up. He was the guy. And, uh, it happened at home. The family was there. It, it was just, you know, it was just a feel-good story um, against the Minnesota Twins. Um, and the cool thing about that one too is that um, Mark Trumbo was the starting and finishing third baseman in that game, which was mm. crazy to think. It um, is because typically in you know, Sosha fashion, you know, Mike would have gone to Trumbo would have been done by like the seventh or eighth inning defensively in a tight game. Uh, but, uh, and I think he made a play on a bunt too, which if I'm not mistaken, but anyway, I digress. Uh, so I think, I think initially I always said that that was cool just because of those, the sentimental side of things, right. Especially with mm-hmm. his dad down because they, the Weaver sat right below our, our booth and you could see the interaction between with Jerry's on the field and dad and all that stuff. I thought that was just amazing. Um, Albert's uh, home run, 600th home run, was pretty cool because of the setting. It was uh, Urban Santana, mm-hmm. Twins again, uh, you know, the former Angel. It was a long battle, bases loaded, and then it just hugged the line. You know, you just didn't know if it was fair or foul. Like it was just as dramatic as you could make it. And so I thought that was, that was amazing. Um, and then, you know, the Skaggs game, because of everything surrounding it, it was such a long time. It felt like forever from the time that Tyler passed, which I, be- I want to say was a Monday. Yeah, because we were Sunday. We flew to, flew to Texas. Monday is when he, you know, it was found out that he passed away. And then we didn't return to the field as a home team until – you know, the, the following Friday uh, because of the All-Star break. We were on the road. We went to Houston, had the All-Star break, and then came back. Mm-hmm. So it just seemed like forever. You thought you were over it, and then all of a sudden you dredge it all back up with the ceremony before the game and, and Debbie throwing out the first pitch and, and then, you know, just reminiscing throughout the game. And, and what was cool about that is that you had a – the one thing I always remember telling Gooby, I'm like, I'm like, we're using an opener on the day after – the all-star break, we do, we don't have any starting pitchers to start after four days off. That, that was my mindset. Mm-hmm. I, I thought that was mind boggling to me. Mm-hmm. And, and so we, you know, we were filled with, um, 
all kinds of montages and video that we were doing in game and interviews and, and stuff. Cause it was total reflection on Tyler's life uh, at that point. And we were pretty much done around the fifth inning, sixth inning. Um, and that's when we kind of just look at each other. I'm like, you know, this, this might be interesting. And something and could happen. Behold, it, yeah. And lo and behold, it, it did. And, uh, and really the only stress there was, was the last out, uh, the ground ball to second. Um, there was a little stumble there by Renhifo. And uh, I think it was Renhifo. Um, stumbled a little bit, but they got the out. And that, that's just, you couldn't have written the script. And then there's nothing to say, right? Yeah. Because what happened on the field, um, you that you can't script that. That was just so impromptu. And um, the jerseys on the, on the mound and, you know, all that stuff. I think so. Those would probably be my three. It's hard to pick one because they all were were all very meaningful to me, um, and they you know they, they'll always stand out for sure. Absolutely, we'll we'll take a top three, no doubt about it. I think those are three terrific moments, not only in your tenure with the Angels, but just Angels franchise history has a huge deep history with those moments. So absolutely, I, I'm down for those as well. I think Todd, I think you agree. Yeah, I, I totally agree. I was at that game, and I think uh, real quick when, you know, in the seventh, eighth inning, we saw fans leaving because they didn't get the idea because, like, with the opener, you know, you don't when you think of a no-hitter, you think of a guy pitching the whole thing. And mm-hmm. so when he didn't, you know, when they had the combined no-hitter and they were still in there, um, you know, some of the fans were leaving, not getting the, the grasping the idea that this was a big thing. And then at the end, I, I don't think there was a dry eye in the house. Our entire section was crying when they were putting the jerseys on the on the mound. No, and you know it's if I if I really think about it, and I'm trying to just keep it as as light as possible. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it it does to this day. It still chokes me up. Uh, you know, we were we were provided jerseys. We wore jerseys as well. Uh, mm-hmm. We had the, his his number on our back, and we wore it during the broadcast. And it's hanging in my closet still. And I, I, you know, I want to get it framed. I just you know I want to do it right as well. And and because you know after the fact everything comes out and you know you can people are going to draw conclusions no matter what Mm um but tyler was you know a human being first and foremost uh, you know a son and and a husband and um you know we all have our demons right i mean Mm -hmm. we all have our skeletons in the closet and unfortunately his played out in in the public eye and um but it does for me it does not demean anything that you know especially the interactions I had with him. Uh, he was very close with, with Gooby. Uh, they would meet often before games or even just uh, on off time, just to downstairs to have coffee and just talk baseball and talk pitching and um, just so full of life. And I think that's the memory I'll always just keep of him is I remember him. Uh, there's two buses going to the airport from, from Angel Stadium and uh, players, coaches, uh, I'm sorry, coaching staff, broadcasters, and some and uh, some ancillary staff are on the first bus, players on the second bus, and I usually sat on the window and I got on the bus. We were early after the game, and I remember it was dress-up day, and uh, you know I remember him vividly wearing his his black jeans. He had the black cowboy hat on. He had just you know, the typical Tyler Skagg strut walking back to the bus, and, and I remember how happy he was and giddy he was on the plane too. It, those that's that's what I'll remember. You know, uh, mm-hmm. I, I won't get into the other stuff because it's. Quite frankly, it's none of my business. Well yeah. said. Absolutely. 100%. No doubt about it. Rest in peace, Tyler Skaggs. And 
it's just, it was tough how it played out, but those are the moments that, especially for you and for, for angel fans all across, you know, everywhere, that's how we should be remembering Tyler Skaggs. Mm -hmm. Now, unfortunately, Todd, we got to get into some, as I mentioned, the the nitty gritty of the angels right (laughs) now and kind of see what's, what's going on with the state of the angels franchise right now. We know this week it was announced that owner Artie Moreno made an announcement that he was starting the process of selling the angels. Um, Todd, what direction? It's a loaded question, but what direction do you want to go with it? Oh, first, if I can ask Victor's um, opinion on things as far as like when he started there, you know, the first four years, obviously, it's from 2010 to 14 or so. What did you see any differences from when the team was winning per se and and had a little bit better uh, hold? Like, like they were together more of an organization as a fan. That's how we see it anyway. But did you see things different from fourteen beyond? Like after the fourteen season, towards the end of your tenure there, like was there like a a changing was uh, in culture? Was there anything like that that stuck out to you? I think uh, by the time that we got to twenty. Because it's, it's, it's difficult to sit there and break apart, you know, year by year, what worked, what didn't work. Um, because there's always going to be positives and negatives, no matter how good of a team you are. Yeah. Uh, there's always going to be things that you can improve on or didn't go well, but you got lucky or whatever the case may be. Uh, mm-hmm. Or you were better in, in a different aspect of the game that made up for the deficiencies that you had that particular. Nobody's ever gone 162-0. and 0. And yep. nobody's batted a thousand. You know what I'm saying? Nobody's had an ERA, staff ERA of zero. So there's always going to be, that's the beauty of the game of baseball, right? Is finding the balance mm-hmm. um, up and down the 40 man roster and in really in your organization from a depth perspective. I, I think um, in the, the latter stages of my time there, which would have been 19, you know, 18, 19, 20. Um, especially in 19, I just felt like there was the beginning of a, a disconnect um, philosophically mm-hmm. uh, and probably earlier too. And, I, and by disconnect, I mean, you know, having talked to broadcasters, have talked to, to players, both that have, were in the big leagues, were in the minor leagues, talked to other coaches that were in the minor leagues. You know, there's, that's not good mm-hmm. <laughs> to put it mildly. Um, when the philosophy that is being instituted at the top is not being bought into by those that are supposed to be disseminating it, mm-hmm. you have a major issue. Uh, there's a disconnect and that's a problem. And the first in today's world, uh, you know, pre-internet days, you can hide those problems. And, and you know, a, a lot of organizations did. And, uh, you know, in today's world, you just can't do that. Uh, stuff gets out and, People start to talk and people start to get pissed off and uh, frustrated and, and, and ends up bubbling over. And so um, and this has nothing to do really from a, this has nothing to do from, you know, the, the hierarchy of the organization, meaning ownership um, and a trickle down effect. I'm talking I'm just talking like baseball philosophy, ones, you know, mm-hmm. uh, and yeah. so whether it was with social leaving, uh, you know, the photo quitting first then social leaving, um, hiring of a new GM, hiring a new manager, he being gone after one year. Um, it, it just seemed like it was duct tape after duct tape after duct tape. Agreed. And, try, and trying to 
patch it. And you, and I get that you kind of have to do a little bit of that at the major league level to, in order to field a ball club that is going to be competitive or you feel is going to be competitive going into a season and trying to get to the postseason while you sort out the back end stuff. Well, now, from well, a back end stuff, you really need to just make the decision that we're cutting bait with X, Y, and Z. Mm-hmm. I'm instituting the philosophy. We're going forward. And if you're not buying in, you're gone. I mean, and then you almost, and I didn't feel like, and this is my personal opinion, mm-hmm. and I've shared this in my interview with the Angels. In my personal opinion, I felt that the organization needed a, a complete restart from a philosophical, from a cultural standpoint, from top to bottom, from front office down to the minor leagues. Mm. Um, and, and you know, that's how I felt then. That's how I feel now. Um, I think you're st- still seeing some remnants of it because there's there's a carryover. You know, Perry inherited X, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, I had the... I guess I had the luxury, if you will, of being there for 11 years and having a sense for it, having really kind of been bits and pieces of the organization since 82. That's when my dad joined the organization, 1982. Yeah, so, yeah. you know, so it's like I, I, I have, I've kind of known that organization for a long time. And, um, and so I, I had a, my sense of that organization was probably comparable to that, of, even though it's been removed of Perry's cause he grew up in the Rangers organization. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. He knew the ins and outs of it. You, you know, everything. It, it's just a different feel when you're, you're involved in it. And so he, remember he inherited this and it takes time for you to put your stamp on it, your staff and yep. buy in and so on and so forth, especially when you're inheriting people uh, from a previous staff. So um, that, that's my, you know, it's a long winded answer. It's a, it's an honest answer. Mm-hmm. Um, and like I said, it's stuff that I've shared before. Can I just follow one, one, one real quick question, Dominic? Um, during that time period where you started to see things fall apart and the culture like sort of change and, and people, you know, going back and forth, did you ever think, I know you said a hard reset as far as the organization, but did you think on the field as well, the team needed to make a hard reset as far as, Hey, let's rebuild you know, rebuild the roster? Because like you said, what what stuck out to me is what you said as far as this team just doing a lot of patchwork. I think that's what a lot of our fans have been saying as far as the pitching staff up until this year was that they were just doing a lot of patchwork stuff. So were you ever of the mindset like, hey, maybe in 2018, 19, we needed to just, hey, tear down and try to rebuild? I think it's very difficult for a team in a large market to straight up rebuild. At the major league level. I just think it's very difficult Um, for any number of variables that you can factor into it from from fan base, attendance, uh, to TV product that you're going to put out there, advertising dollars, sponsorships. I mean, there's just any number of things from a business perspective. I just think it's I think it's really difficult. I think if you're doing it, you're really rolling the dice. and uh, good luck. You better you better win very quickly after the fact because, you know, that could be a, a serious rabbit hole, right? Um, mm-hmm. I, I, I do think that you can um, restart the minor league system for sure. And, you know, you talk about the patchwork and the pitching side of things. Well, why was that? It's because you weren't developing anybody. Yep. And so yep. that's, that's, a, that's a big issue. And so if you're not developing anybody, is it, is it the development staff? Or is it the scouting side? If it's a scouting side, what are you looking for? What's the goal? Uh, mm-hmm. What type? What's your philosophy as far as your what you're what you're trying to scout? 
really, I think the biggest missed opportunity in all of this has been the international scouting. Yes. Uh, you know, and the investment in the international side of things. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think, you know, and, and even there, there's, there's varying degrees of philosophies, right? You could sit there and go, okay, I'm, I'm all in on these two or three guys. I'm going to b- blow my, uh, my pool on those three guys and, and, and go after them. not knowing that if you're going to get them or not, not knowing if they're going to be good or not, or do you go the complete opposite? I'm going to go sign 25 guys at a lesser amount in hopes that I get four or five of those guys to be somewhat productive at the minor league level, especially at the lower to mid minor league levels, so that maybe they don't get to the big leagues with us, but maybe they become attractive to another organization so that you can flip them for a piece that will help you at the major league level. True. And so it's all, it's all intertwined. Um, and it's, it's a, it's an interesting web, uh, but you've got to believe in, not only do you have to believe in it, but you've got to have everybody around you believing that what you have in place or what you plan on having in place is the plan that's going to work uh, going forward. And assuming you get the blessing from ownership that you get the opportunity to do that, then then that's what you have to do. I'm assuming Perry's gotten that. I haven't had those conversations with him and I wouldn't expect to have those conversations with Perry. Um, but I would expect, had it been me, I would, that would have been my expectation uh, that I've, I'd be given the opportunity and it's not necessarily opening up the purse strings and like go spend beyond the, uh, a threshold on the payroll side of things. And it's easily done. Anybody, anybody can do that. Mm -hmm. Anybody. It doesn't take a eight year, 10 year, 15 year major league executive to go out and just spend money. Anybody can go spend money. It's allocating those resources in the right way to help your organization today and down the road, four or five, six years down the road, because those, those contracts, the money you're spending have ramifications uh, down the road and you have to just be able to manage that. And if you're Mm -hmm. going to go that route, uh, just like the Dodgers have, right. Mm -hmm. They're able to sustain it because why? Because they've been able to do it. They have guys coming up from underneath from the player development side that they can either flip, or they plug them in when someone goes down, whether it's in the rotation or otherwise. And so, um, you know, that's, again, another long-winded answer, but that's kind of how – and this, these discussions happen all the time. You know, and I'm passionate about it. I love it. And, and um, you know, I, 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 I get where fans are coming from. You know, as a fan myself, right, especially like the Chiefs, mm-hmm. you know, before Patrick Mahomes, trust me, you know, I, you know, everyone says you live and die with your, with your team, right? Well, I died often with the chiefs. They crushed me. There's a lot of lean years. Yeah. I, I, I totally get it. I Mm -hmm. totally get it. Um, so that's, that's where I'm at right now. Yeah. Cause scouting and player development always merge hand in hand. And like you mentioned, Perry Manassian, he inherited a lot of things when he became the Andrews general manager. One of the things he inherited is somebody that goes by the name of Shohei Otani. And it's, he did not inherit him in a bad way. He's a pitcher. He's a hitter. He does everything that you can ever imagine. He's probably one of the nicest people ever to play the game of baseball. The big talk of the town is, should the Angels have traded Shohei Otani at the trade deadline? Will they? Will they extend him? The whole situation surrounding Otani. If you were the Angels GM or just as a fan, what do you think the Angels should do in regards to Shohei Otani, especially now with all the rumors going around of already selling the team or even without 
already selling the team. What should the Angels do with Otani? Well, I'll, I'll back up a little bit. And the fact that the, the news that came out earlier this week about already exploring the idea of selling the team, and it's not a foregone conclusion, right? He's just exploring the opportunity. I mean, look at the, the Lerner family in Washington, D.C. They've been going through this process for a couple of months now. Um, yep. You know, it's, it's, it's a process. You know, yeah. he may turn, he, Artie could very well just say, you know what, uh, I'm, not, I'm not interested. I, I made a mistake. I just wanted to explore and see what's out there, dipping the toe in the water, whatever. But that being the case, if that was being contemplated at a time, now you can understand why you wouldn't trade Shohei Otani, right? Because why would you trade a marketable asset uh, that would be part of a sale of a ball club in the second largest market in the country? Mm-hmm. So, so you have to kind of look at it from from ownership's perspective. And I'm not saying that's the case, but that's, I mean, as a, from a layman's perspective, that's how I would look at it. That's yeah. why they didn't trade him. One, because they, they like him a lot, right? Two, because he's a hell of a player and he's very talented. And three, probably first and foremost, really, but number three on the list is uh, he is a huge asset that would be a part of the ball club that you're trying to move in the open market. And so I think you do yourself a disservice from a, just from a business standpoint of trading that piece off and trying to sell whatever ownership group may be interested in buying the ball. Well, oh, but we got these 17 unbelievable prospects in return for Shohei. Um, you know, that, that fruit may come to fruition at some point. Um, it's just a different animal, right? Um, mm-hmm. So, uh, look, I, I think Shohei picked the Angels. And I think that's, that's the, the biggest thing that you have to kind of, when you start, Zooming the lens out. Um, show picked the Angels. He wanted to be in Southern California. He wanted to be with that ball. That tells you something. Has his opinion changed over the years? I have no idea. You'd have to ask Nez Bolello or his agent or, um, or Shohei himself, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, but I would, I would say that that is a good indicator that he's interested. I would imagine interested in sticking around. The question then becomes from a from a business perspective, like, okay, what's the assigned value to this player? And how do we construct a deal um, that would keep him long-term and still give us the opportunity to fill in the other spots? Because there are a number of different spots that still have, you know, some concerns going forward, especially with Mike getting older uh, and more, more mileage on the body. Um, how does it, how do you make it work? And I think that's the biggest question is it's the unknown, right? Like, yeah. Yeah. Everyone could say, oh, Scherzer's getting whatever, 35, $40 million a year for every fifth day. Oh, okay. So Shohei can do that and he could hit. So then what's the assigned value? So is he a $60 million player? I'm not, I'm not saying that's what he is. I'm just saying, how do you come up with that number? And I mm-hmm. guarantee you that Otani's folks, kind of have a feeling for what they think they're worth <laughs> on the open market. And I'm sure probably does not line up with what the angels or any other organization, you know, would think he's worth uh, to them individually. Now for the angels, it, it's just like there's any number of things because of the market, because of the marketing, because of the, uh, the retail side and merchandise and sponsorships. So there's, there's, there's ways to make it work. Mm-hmm. Uh, and make it make sense. Keep him happy. Keep him part of the uh, the tandem there with with Mike, and um, 
but you know, we'll just have to wait and see all that stuff. That stuff gets put on pause right now with, if, if Artie's really pursuing this opportunity, uh, and I believe that he is wholeheartedly, at least looking into it, you know, I, I don't think you can, I don't think you could really go out there honestly, like I say in the off season and, and try to shop him until that gets settled one once and for all. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I completely agree with you. There is no mathematical formula that says, oh, plug in Otani's ERA with batting average and home runs and that equates a 10-year, $500 million deal or whatever that number could be. It's, it's a very wide-ranging question, I think, at the end of the day. I, you know, As fans, I think Todd and I can agree. Of course, we want to see Shohei Otani stay in an Angels uniform the remainder of his career and do what he does best with Mike Trout and Anthony Rendon and whoever else comes into the picture in 2023 and beyond with this organization. Todd, I, I think you would agree with me on that one. Oh, yeah, because in the end, I mean, we just want to see winning. You know, like every fan of every other team I've talked to, they've always said, you know, the one travesty right now is not seeing Mike Trout in the postseason. Then we get Shohei, and then it's like, well, we're not seeing two of the greatest players, if not the two best players in baseball, in the postseason. And and it is it is uh, shocking and sad at the same time. But a lot of what Victor's brought out about the organization, I mean, you can't have it all. I mean, if they, if they don't have the right organization built around them, the right pieces, the right mindset, the right – uh, design for the team, then it's not going to get there. And to be honest, uh, you know, with this season, me and Dominic were under the impression the way the pitching started, you know, if the team stayed healthy, I mean, we didn't, we kind of like ignored the warts in the first couple months, but you know, those came to fruition. I mean, this team like literally can't hit. They've got the, like, we believe they had the, the playoff pitching, even, you know, before Syndergaard and everything left, uh, this team, it, they had it on paper that I felt they could at least make a wild card, but the hitting has been so bad for in, in injuries too. Yeah. I mean, yeah, that phrase you said that if, uh, you know, if, if the pitching stays healthy, Gooby and I used to say that. Oh yeah. Uh, every year coming out of spring training. Well, we'll see how it goes. If, if these guys stay healthy. Uh, but, and, and if, if that's, if that's your go-to and that's, you know, the, the constant on a yearly basis, that's, Again, that's not a that's a pretty good indicator of you know the lack of depth and the issues that you have at the minor league level. I mean, you can't look at the forty man roster and say, okay, that's that's what I'm going to that's what I'm going to go to battle with. No, you got to look at the entire organization and mm-hmm. and have as many assets you know that that can, can contribute at one point or another. Um, and again, whether it's with your club or with somebody else's club, because you're always going to Tom Grieve, Mr. Ranger himself, is finally retiring this year. Played a lot of golf with him in my time with the Rangers. And, you know, th- that guy, started, he's done it all, right? He played general mm-hmm. manager, ran the team, broadcaster. So he's seen all different sides. of it. And I asked him about prospects. What do you think about prospects? He said prospects, they either, either get you to the promised land or they get you somebody who will get you to the promised land from a trade perspective. And the follow-up question I always had for him was, how do you know when it's time to cut bait? Mm. Because that's, that's the most difficult question for a general manager. Yep. When have you seen enough of a player in, this, in your system to say he's not going to be a big leaguer, a consistent big leaguer with us? He could get a cup of coffee, but he's not going to be that guy. Mm-hmm. He goes, but that being said, 
we all judge our players much differently than what the outside world does. And he's talking about the other executives. So what may be, you know, your trash per se that you are going to discard mm-hmm. could be somebody's main entree. And we've sure. seen some of that kind of play out periodically where you get a guy out of nowhere, no name guy gets to the big leagues and all of a sudden goes off like gangbusters or goes off in the playoffs. And, you know, he's been in the minor leagues for nine years, you know, a ball was the highest level. And, it, and it's interesting because we, as, as a general manager, what he was saying was, he goes, we, we, we love all our players. We think all of our players are the best players <laughs> for the most part. That's why there are players. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, but you have to be cognizant of what everybody else thinks. And, you really have to just have a realistic timeline to be perfectly honest with you for your guys and be honest with yourself and say, look, I, I don't see it. And it's time to move on. It, it, there's nothing wrong with it. You, you cannot have an emotional attachment to the players as much as it could be good guys, great families. You have some friendships along the way. At some point there's a, there's a business, right? Cause you're going to be judged ultimately on wins and losses at the major league level. And part of that is what you have at the minor league level. And you, you have to just make that decision at one point or another. Yes, this guy's going to stay on this side of the ledger. These guys need to go because they we just we've seen enough. And uh, I think that's the toughest part of the job. Yeah. And you're never going to have an owner or a GM coming at, coming out of spring training, heading back to their respective ballpark saying, oh, this team's going to lose this year. We're not going to we're just going to play the 162 games, get it over with, get to our next vacation site in, in the winter. You're going to have guys always saying this is the roster we have. We're competing for a championship or else they wouldn't be a GM or an owner or even players in an organization. Now, for the Angels, you talk about those players that may or may not be able to compete at that big league level as we always hoped they could be and I think the biggest polarizing player right now on the Angels at least on social media and with the fans and seeing what they do on a daily basis would probably be Joe Adele. Joe Adele drafted high with the Angels was the number one prospect for a number of years through the minor league system and now he's getting playing time with the Angels. Yes he's gone up and down the last couple of seasons ever since 2020 but this year with the Angels trading away Brandon Marsh to the Philadelphia Phillies and who they got returned Moniac getting injured. Joe Adele seen prime time in left field and throughout, he has not been panning out as much as a lot of people thought he would. Your thoughts on Joe Adele, I know probably over the last year or two, you probably haven't watched him as dedicated wise with you being over there in Frisco, but from what you've maybe seen in spring training days with Joe Adele or a little bit in 2020. And so what are your thoughts about Joe Adele's current situation with the Angels? And is maybe the Angels at that time where they need to cut the cord with him if he's not going to perform or there's again, another piece of the angels puzzle that has a thousand different layers into it. Yeah. I think when you're talking about major league players, it's a little bit different, um, especially someone that was drafted as high as he was. And, you know, at, at, a, at a young age too. remember mm-hmm. he was a high school player. So Correct. I remember interviewing him and um, we had two kids on, on the same day, Jeremiah, is it Jeremiah? It might've been Jeremiah. Um, the shortstop. Uh, oh, Jackson? Jackson, yeah. The same draft, right, I believe? Mm-hmm. Uh, yes. Yeah, yes. Jeremiah yeah. Jackson, so, Joe Adele. Yeah, so we had them on the same night uh, in the booth and interviewing. I thought both guys, I'm like, wow. I mean, this, they're just, they're just, they just really test. And when you start looking at young players, high school players, you're like, this guy's a high school player, just the way they speak and the, the way they handle themselves. Um, and, you know, I think, I think when you slap superstardom or future superstardom on a, 
on a player, I think that's a that's a heavy burden for any player, especially for a young player coming from from high school and, and, and trying to get into the system and try to make a, a name for themselves, right? So, um, yeah, I, I think sometimes hype, and this is not Joe Adele, but just in general, I, I think sometimes we get so excited about rankings, um, you know, top prospect lists and, and the expectation becomes, well, this guy's a can't miss guy just because they're on a top right. No, I think, I think everybody top to bottom, I and mean, you go to the top hundred list, there are guys that have issues with their game. You know, there's nobody that's just, they're, they're completely a polished product top to bottom. You know, I mean, people talked about Mike Trout when he first got to the big league. Oh, my five tool guy. Mike had problems throwing. I mean, I, I'm like, you, you talk about five tool guy, you know, it, Throwing is one of those things, like being able to really throw. Mike didn't have that early on when he got to the big leagues, right? It, but he worked his ass off, and I thought he became a, a pretty darn good, even though the metrics don't like him, I thought he became a pretty darn good outfielder, you know, center fielder. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so each guy has uh, some deficiencies to work on, and I think that's the beauty of the minor leagues, that you get those opportunities to work on. I, thought, I think Joe early on had an issue with the, you know, he got a hole in his swing, um, I think defensively there were some, you know, some issues, whether it was on the tracking side of things, whether it was eyesight, whatever. I don't know what it was. Um, but I, those are the things that you needed to kind of clean up at the minor league level. But when you have injuries and you're a highly touted prospect, because um, he got to the big leagues, he played when I was – he got there in COVID. Uh, if I remember correctly, he played some time because uh, Upton was hurt. Correct. Um, uh, so – you know, you kind of get forced into that role when you may not be quite ready. And I think sometimes that could have a little bit lingering effect on somebody that the game is a lot different at the major league level than triple A or double A. It's just a different beast. And the biggest part of that, I think, is really mentally. You know, the game is faster. There's no doubt about it. Ball moves differently, comes out of the hand differently. Guys get the baseballs on the infield differently. Um, but I think mentally when you have some struggles that it can chew you up a little bit more so, and no matter how much, and again, not talking about Joe specifically, just in general mm-hmm. terms as a, as a ball player, yep. um, I think no matter how much of a facade you may have that nothing's bothering you, we all internalize things, um, especially negative things that we know that we need to get over. Um, we internalize it and we all do it differently, right? Mm-hmm. Some people lets it, it kind of, it gets to a point where it over, it consumes them and it overpowers their talent, which is unfortunate sometimes. Um, so I think, I think it's still a battle for him. Really. I, I honestly just, just put him in a position, let him play. Just don't quit screwing with them. Yeah. Just leave them in the lineup. Find yep. out if he can play in the big leagues. If not, go back down to AAA, see if he can work out the kinks. That, that, that to me is that, and that's what I don't like about, I, I don't mind analytics, but I, you know, trying to piece together, especially in a, in a lost year like this, it's for the mm-hmm. Angels. Mm-hmm. Um, when you're not playing for anything other than trying to figure out what you actually have and what you can go into the offseason with and into 23 with. Just play whoever you think has an opportunity so you could find out who and what they are. I mean, and whether it's the Angels or the Pirates or the A's or whatever the case may be, mm-hmm. uh, whatever team that's struggling, 
Yeah. You're not playing for anything else other than, okay, what do I have on my 40 man roster? Cause I'm going to have to make some decisions in the off season. Right. Uh, so that, that's kind of my, my sense on, on guys like Joe and, and any players. And you know, I thought I'm getting off on a tangent here, you know, Matt Thice, when he came out of Virginia, mm-hmm. uh, as I recall, <laughs> and my memory may be a little bit fuzzy now that I'm 54, as I recall, <laughs> I believe he may have been one of the best college hitters of the draft. Yeah. And that's why he was taken. Yep. Right. Mm-hmm. That he was a catcher, but he was going to get drafted so that he can swing the bat. We're going to put him at first base. Right. Mm-hmm. And then if, if that's the case, then why screw with his swing? Why even think about trying to get the whole mentality of lift, lift, lift and stuff like that and, and mess with the guy. Because I think all you do, you just stunt the growth of a player. And just because, I mean, I'm really going off on a tangent now, and I think this is an issue still to this day. I thought it was an issue in the previous regime philosophically. You cannot have a baseball philosophy, whether it's hitting, pitching, or otherwise, a blanket philosophy, and just throw it down to the minor league and say, do this. Yes. You you can say it and it has to be agile. You have to be able to, to piece it together. And, and the reason why is because every individual consumes information differently. Mm-hmm. What yeah, one so- guy can absorb, another guy can't. And the flip side to that is from a development standpoint, who's the messenger? One person who understands the philosophy can pass along the message in a proper fashion to that one particular individual where another coach has, has no ability to, but to say, you just need to hit like this. This is how we're the only way to get to the big leagues is hitting like this. It's not a communication. It's more of a mandate. Mm -hmm. And I think that's where you really start getting guys going, what the hell are we doing? Like, what, like, I don't get this. Why are we trying to do X uh, when I'm not that type of player? You know, I, What's wrong with Matt Thice being a gap-to-gap doubles guy that hits you 15 to 20 home runs and hits 280-plus in the big leagues and can play some first baseball? There's nothing wrong with that. No. Does it fit it, Does it fit the prototypical corner infielder where, you know, the Troy Glosses of the world, by the way, who was a shortstop in college, the Troy Glosses of the world playing the corner, you know, the big 6'4", 6'5", mm-hmm. behemoth uh, with soft hands going to hit you 40 bucks. I mean, those guys are few and far between, man. Yeah, it'll happen, but that's why I think you just have to keep your mind open, and um, especially from a from a communication standpoint. I just I just hated that whole. Here's the philosophy. This is what we're doing. Okay, well then, who who, who's passing along the the message? And you look at a uh, you you get down to a uh, a Latin player who has enough hard enough time ordering a hamburger at McDonald's. And you're handing them video or an iPad uh, or analytics, and you just expect them to absorb that information. I mean, that's just not, you're setting them up to fail in in, in a small for the word. That's it. Then it becomes one of those kids. Well, he's, he's aloof, or you know, he, he wants to do his own thing, and then they get labeled. Mm-hmm. And, and that that's across the game itself. And I think that's that's the thing that I took to heart. That I really I, look. I. I was in communication for 18 years at the major league level, right, broadcasting wise. So I, I, I like to communicate and I, I can see with my staff 
I have 32 people here on full-time staff, right? Mm-hmm. And I talk to these individuals in 32 different ways because my message, I want to make sure my message sinks into all of them. And I can see in their eyes or their reactions or body language, who's absorbing it and understanding it and who's not. And that's okay. Cause that's okay that you don't understand me here. Let me rephrase it. Let me explain it to you this way. This is what, this is why. And then the, the back and forth and it's a communication so that you get the buy-in. If you don't have buy-in, you, you are completely lost because then it just becomes one big giant mandate. Oh, yeah, geez. becomes individual. Oh, I'll go ahead, Dominic, because there's, there's, he touched on a lot of things. There was a lot right there, but I think the, the first point, in, in a joking sense, and we mean this honestly, Victor, you could digress all day long because everything you're saying in, I would say, the last five to ten minutes and is pretty much everything Todd and I have been agreeing about all season long with this angel squad. So feel free to just openly talk for an hour straight and we're going to sit here and just enjoy <laughs> every second of it. I know you got a game tonight, you know, for Frisco, but talk to us all day long and we're just going to sit here and we're going to enjoy every single second of it. <laughs> I wanted to put that out there first and foremost, but go for it, Todd. Oh, I was just going to say, I mean, you were hitting the nail on the head because that's how we feel about this team. You got six guys hitting under 200. Uh, you got uh guys that are barely, you know, hitting their weight and other aspects that are way better hitters than we know. You know, you bringing up Matt Theis and changing up the way he swings, the approach. You know, we've seen guys like, like you know, Madden's regime, they did not believe in batting practice. It was all batting cages. We felt that was a detriment to the team. The team started going downhill once they started doing that. Um, it was, you know, it seemed like it was sexy to swing for the fence. You know, I'm watching every angel game and, and the opponents are, you know, yeah, you know, some guys get the analytics, some guys don't, but at least they're showing them what they could change on the iPad during the innings. And when you pan over to the angels, you see Sorrento sitting there, not doing anything. Reed's doing the same thing. You know, it's my opinion, but what I'm seeing on television, I'm not seeing that one-on-one, like you'll see Matt Wise go over to a pitcher in between innings, no matter if he's pitching good or not, giving him motivation, talking to him, give him a hug after a start. You don't see that with the hitting coaches for the Angels. You, you barely know they're on there. Like, I've never heard any current Angel player be like, hey, you know what, thanks to Jeremy Reed, thanks to Paul Sorrento, my swing got better. It's been the latter. You know, when Fletcher comes up from, you know, he's, he's doing great on a rehab assignment, hitting good. Renifo, same thing in AAA. They come up here. They're the only ones taking batting practice prior to the other team coming on the field. And it shows because their averages are better. Their plate appearances are better. Uh, we're averaging about 10 to 13 strikeouts a game, leading the league in strikeouts. I mean, it's abysmal, the the offense that we got out there. And I just feel like you've been saying, and, and you, you touched on maybe, you know, stop trying to make every player be one way, you know, exploit their, their, uh, their weaknesses and their, um, what is it called? What they do. What makes good. them unique. What yes, makes them unique. exactly. Cause there's plenty of times where there's situations where you could just get a bunt, you know, that easy runner over and we keep swinging for the fences. We strike out, line out, pop up, waste the extra runner and extra innings. So there's a lot of frustration as far as angels fans, because we feel that this team could be a little bit better. Yeah. They're not going to score 10 runs a night, but, I mean, they could do better than what they were averaging for a month and a half, which was 1.5 runs a game. I mean, it was terrible. So, in my opinion, like, that's my frustration and my long-winded question or answer whatever statement because as fans, we know this team could be better. 
And they seem to have a different philosophy down there in Salt Lake as far as the way they hit, the way they approach. Even with the Trash Pandas in Double A, they're much better run. Uh, you know, they score a lot of runs. They do the little things up here. It's just, hey, if you're not swinging for the fences, hit the bench. Yeah, I, I, I look. I, I read and Sorrento, Paulie. You know, I consider them friends, and I think they're good guys. And it's hard for me to to say anything negative about them just because I'm not a part of it. It's been two years since I was there. And, mm-hmm. you know, for the most part, I remember two years ago that, you know, there were people that were touting Jeremy Reed and the job that he was doing and communicating and talking, hitting and stuff like that. You know, these look, whether it's a manager or a coach, you could be a really, you could be a brilliant one year and have no clue the next year. It's just all based on results, right? It's a results-oriented mm-hmm. business. Yeah, correct. And so I, I would I would never want to you know assume anything or uh, assert myself in in something that I quite honestly haven't been paying that close of attention to. All I know is that at, you know in the big leagues you can't you can't take and you mentioned the the interaction on the, in the dugout that you see on TV, stuff like that, you know, you can't just say that because you don't see it on TV, that it's not happening. I just don't think that's a fair statement, whether it is related to the angels or otherwise to any other team, to be perfectly honest with you, because you, like I said, everybody's different. Everybody you have. And that's the hard part about managing or, or leadership, right? Is, is finding out who you can do what with and when, and it's, it's all about timing, right? The last thing somebody wants to talk about when they strike out looking with runners at second and third and less than two outs is your hitting coach coming up to you in the dugout, you know, telling you the obvious. Oh, why didn't you – that the third pitch that was up, why didn't you at least just punch it out for a sack fly? Yeah, no shit. I mean, I know. I get it. Like, as a hitter, I get it. Like, I remember mm-hmm. when I was a hitter of players. Like, I, I, I know what I did wrong. I don't need that. And, and so I don't think those, those conversations, I don't think they're productive. Now, if someone from a, from a mechanical standpoint or from a mental standpoint approach at the plate is in a funk, that's a little bit different, right? Because yeah, then there's yeah. the positive reinforcement or if it's not the positive reinforcement, it's the, hey, you know what? I was just thinking about this. When I saw you, your last at bat, I saw this. And then it's just, it's all little key words or little things. Yeah. Yeah. It's not, it's not necessarily teaching, but a lot of that stuff you don't want to do in game unless the player comes to you. And again, everybody's different. Some guys like to talk, just won't shut up in the dugout, right? No matter what, good, bad, indifferent. Mm-hmm. They just talk, 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 talk. David Fletcher's not a talker. David Fletcher, to me, uh, <laughs> even when I was there, it's like, I don't think I ever heard high from him. I'm kidding. I'm sarcastic. <laughs> but he just, that's just his nature, right? He's a quiet Probably. dude. He's a quiet dude. He's easygoing. And so, you know, uh, until you get to know the individual, you just don't know what the hot button for them and what's not. And, and so I think, I think you have to look, I know it's been a frustrating year and, mm. and you want to just throw blame at, anything and everything. I get it. I totally get it. Um, but I guarantee you that those guys, and I'm talking about the coaching staff, you know, they're busting their ass. These guys nowadays, man, they got to be at the yard at freaking noon. They don't get out of there. It's 11, 1130 at night. They wear it when it's going bad. I mean, they absolutely wear it. 
the players get all the accolades as they should when things are going well because they are the show. Um, but when things are going bad, it's on the staff, and they know it. They absolutely know it. Uh, I was there the summer of 88 when my dad was managing. I spent the summer with him, and there were some good times. There were some bad times. Um, and there's some guys that were in the media back then that are still on my hit list. And, uh, I will, I will even things up at some point. Uh, I unfortunately don't forget anything. So, um, uh, so, you know, it, so, but they wear it, they, they know what's going right, what's going wrong and they understand what's out there. Um, and I think that's the hard part of the job is being able to separate it. Like if I, if I were sucking at my job here, I'd hear it. I get it. You know, it's like this thing was going downhill and it's trending in the wrong direction. I should get fired. You know, I, I just, it is what it is. It's just the nature of the, the business. business. Maybe yeah. because I grew up in it, I'm desensitized to it. Um, and, and so maybe I, my perspective is a lot different than, you know, the average person, but you know, that just, that's just the business. That's why I don't like the, I, I, I sense like silly moves or decisions in game that don't make sense, that's fair game. You know, if you're from a pitching change or, you know, lack of a pinch hitter or whatever the case, that, 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 that's fair game. But effort or someone's not trying or someone's not teaching or coaching, I just think that's just – it's so subjective. I just think that's unfair to the guys wearing a uniform. Yeah, especially to a lot of us fans. You know, there's a lot of things – like you alluded to that happened behind closed doors that the common fan will probably never see in their life. They're just going to see what's going on in the dugout, what's going on in the field. If they're being interviewed pregame or postgame, that's where the public will know a lot more information, but in the long stretch of things at the end of the day, I think we, since, you know, we are in year 2022, we're more in a, very with social media and with a lot of different things in, in present day in that instant gratification. And we always want somebody to be blamed for something and just pin it on somebody and then move them along and get to better days. I think that kind of encompasses this whole idea as well with the coaching staff and all the things that have gone wrong essentially for the angels. Cause if you look back in April and beginning of May, we were flying high. Things were great. The angels were doing things. And even if they did have holes somewhere in their roster or, or wherever else, they were getting covered up by the big word of a win. When you're winning, everything's great. But when you're losing, that's when everything gets exposed. I, I'm going to say that's pretty on point to a certain degree. Am I right? Hello? Did we lose I'm him? sorry. I, yeah, no, no, I'm here. Oh, okay. Oh, okay. Yeah. Oh, no, no yeah, problem. No. I didn't No, I, just, I, you know, winning can solve a lot of problems. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what happened in April and May with the angels. And then, like I mentioned with the whole instant gratification there, there's always somebody that wants to be put blame on somebody to kind of, you're the problem. Let's get them out of way. Let's get to better days. I think does that, does the type of culture we live in just not only in baseball, but just around the world these days affect what's going on with the angels to a certain degree in your mind? Uh, yeah, I think so. I mean, it, it, it could happen. I, I think, uh, you know, that's, you know, when the Angels were going good back in April and May, and, you know, I kept hearing and seeing, you know, on social media, that, you know, first place this or first place, you know, that, I've always, I, I cringe at that kind of stuff, right? And I know it's, it's, it's easy to get excited about, mm-hmm. but you have six months of a season. It's 162 games. And until you really know who you are 
and you know where your place is from a from a contender perspective um you know you, you should tap the brakes on that i remember gosh i'm trying to think my first year with the rangers is 04 and they won 89 games and i think it was that year or the year the next year they got off to a great start and i remember that um the team president at the time really hyper guy uh i think the rangers were in first place and he had the receptionist answering the phones, um, whatever it was, uh, whatever the name of the field was at the time, home of the first place Texas Rangers. I'm like, like it's April 8th. <laughs> really? <laughs> it's like you're, you're freaking seven and two or whatever. The, you know, it's just like, I just, I, I'm not, you know, I'm, I'm, I, I preach it to my, my kids about, you know, watching the, not getting too high on the highs and too low on the lows and, you know, just live in the middle and then just take it for what it is. Right. And I get it when you're consistently winning where you, the expectation is X. I, then I, you know, I get it because you got a track record and the, the roster says you should be this and okay, let's go. Um, you know, with the struggles that the team has had and you get off to a great start, it's like, like, we don't even know like a Syndergaard going to break in his next start. You just don't know is Lorenzen, yeah legit as a starter you know i mean there's a lot of questions and it's a marathon not a sprint (laughs) yeah yeah so it's it's okay i mean you i just think you always have to temper the the excitement or the expectation unless you know for sure that you come out of the gate you make some noise and that roster is looks pretty stacked and you're like all right let's go and at that point you put the target on your chest and let's go let's run through the gauntlet Let's go 162 and see where we stand. Um, but until you until you're tried and tested, it's I, I always I or or on the side of caution. Always have. Even when I was doing the games, you know, there was there was times where I get excited about a team and I'm like, yeah, but I'm not sold on X. I'm, so I'll, I'll mm-hmm. still do my thing, but I'm gonna I'm gonna reserve jumping on the wagon until I see it actually play out or the kinks kind of work themselves out. So that's that's kind of how I looked at it. I think this year we just really jumped on the bandwagon early too because of the fact that you know uh, over the last few years April's been an albatross for the Angels, you know, and mm-hmm. so finally, you know, they had a, a pretty stellar April and and it was looking good midway through May. Uh, I think that's why we got a little above ourselves as far as believing in this team. Uh, so I think that's why it was a little bit of a hit to a cro- uh, to our crotch. Now, one quick question real quick. if Say, for instance, you were still broadcasting with us and Madden did not get fired after the 14-game losing streak. He was about to come out there with the Mohawks. If he asked, <laughs> if he asked you and Gooby to, to, to go with the Mohawk look, would you have? No. Why? <laughs> <laughs> I just, I just say it, man, because you know he was he was trying to start a thing right there, and he wouldn't have started the thing with me, that's for sure. <laughs> Gooby Go- Go- would have done it. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, he he's got that hair, man. That's that's his thing. Yeah, yeah, he loves his hair, and he's not going to chop that thing off. I mean, <laughs> um, you know, I, I, you know, Joe, um, known Joe a long time. <laughs> I think he had a – sometimes you kind of have to know your audience, right? Because after a while, you just have to – look, I don't know, man. Everything Everything's fluid, and I think you always have to be aware of your surroundings and who's around. And what, what worked mm-hmm. six, seven, eight years ago doesn't necessarily mean it works today. 
Yep. Um, I think life happens so fast now. The trends are so fast mm-hmm. that if you are trying to fall into that trap of, oh, I'll just bring back, you know, bag of tricks thing, uh, people kind of shrug. It's, you're not, the shock value of those things, you know, are few and far between, right? Because it's going to, and even if you did it and it worked, it's going to be gone in the 24 hour news cycle. You know what I mean? It's just, it, it'll be gone. It's just that nobody cares anymore. It's just what's on your screen and just a swipe up and then move on to the next thing. That's, that's how you have to, that's why you have to remain agile. Um, kind of like an offensive lineman head on a swivel, just kind of, cause you just never know. And, mm-hmm. and I think sometimes you fall into that crutch of, Oh, this worked in the past. So I'll just, you know, I'll go into my bag of tricks and do it. And I just, yeah, I, I always think you got to think about those kind of things. I love Joe. I think he's a great personality. Um, he was our minor league roving instructor when I was uh, in the minor leagues and um, always got along with him well. And, uh, you know, crap happens, man. It's baseball. And you get, you know, my dad used to say, you get hired to get fired. That's, uh, yeah. you know, that's usually the MO for, um, for whether it's a manager or front office executive. One of the very few guys that last for a long time, like John Daniels got fired. Last week, 17 years in that organization with the Rangers. 17, that's that's in, that's old school right there. That doesn't happen uh, anymore. Yeah, that, that was a little bit uh, of a shock. It's almost like in Major League Baseball, maybe any sport, front office or player, you never know sometimes when your last day will be. I know we have, for example, Mike Trout has a lifetime contract with the Angels until he retires if, if he wants it and he signed it. Just because you've been with an organization 20, 30, even 40 plus years, that doesn't mean they might say, okay, pack your bags. It's time to go. It's again, it all comes down back to the basis of it's the nature of the business of sports, I think, at the end of the day. Yeah. Well, there's no doubt. I mean, um, it's a business on both sides, right? It's a business for an organization uh, and it's a business for the athlete. Um, You know, that's how you have to look at things. Uh, You've got (laughs) social media you've got people making that a business now uh, or have been for the last several years and, and doing so people I've never even heard of or no discernible talent whatsoever. And yet they're, you know, they've carved out a, a business out of it. So you've described um, us in a nutshell. <laughs> <laughs> hey man, I always said that if I could broadcast, anybody could do it. So well, there you go. We're yeah. living proof. We are living proof. Yeah. Hey, be- yeah. before we let you go today, Victor, I know you got a game tonight uh, for the Frisco Rough Riders at home. Um, for me, per- this is more of a personal thing, but for anybody listening to the podcast, any broadcasters out there from one broadcaster to another, even though you've made your now ascension into the front office at the minor league level, two part question. One, do you have any aspirations to go front office at the big league level? And two, what is your advice to any broadcasters out there that want to get into minor league baseball or just baseball in general, what would be any just general advice to keep on grinding and keep on doing what they're doing? Um, as far as aspirations are concerned, I don't, you know, I'm, I kind of just take it one day at a time to be perfectly honest with you. I don't, uh, I learned long ago that you have to kind of just uh, be ready because you never know when a call might come. Uh, to be perfectly honest with you, I'm happy doing what I'm doing right now. It's perfect. Um, but if something were to pop up, whether it was in the front office, whether it was broadcasting or otherwise, I'd, I'd, I'd take it at that moment and see where I'm at and assess it and decide what I want to do. Um, 
I just, I, I don't think it makes sense to, to go out there and say, yeah, I'm after a job. And I've, I've lived in the fishbowl, you know? So it's like, I don't, it's, I don't necessarily crave uh, wanting to be the person, uh, the main person, but that's not to say that I wouldn't be interested if something were, were brought to my attention, whether it was GM or, you know, running a team or whatever, uh, or being part of an ownership group. Uh, so I don't, I don't know. I just, you know, it's a, it's a hard question because I just, if I were 25, I'd say, yeah, I want to get to the big leagues and this is what I want to do. And I'm going to accomplish this. It's like, I've done a lot of different things, man. I've worked in sports a long time and it's like, I've accomplished a lot of things. I like building. I know that I like building. Mm -hmm. I like creating. Um, I like building culture. Uh, I love teaching. So, you know, that's, I've, I've found that that's my, my wheelhouse and, you know, obviously love the game of baseball. So um, that's, that's my answer to part one of your question, as far as the, young broadcasters and uh, that are out there, I would just say, you know, I've said all the time to my kids, just in general, just uh, work on being the best version of you and not the second version of somebody else. Cause I think some oftentimes, especially on the broadcast side, you know, whether you hear of Joe Buck or Joe Davis or Al Michaels, or you know, I grew up with Pat Summerall and all those guys, Dick Emberg. And you feel like, okay, in order to be them, I got to sound like them or be like them or say things like them. And that is, I think, I think it's counterproductive. I think it's okay to learn from them, but I think that you have to absolutely be your own person and bring your own style to the broadcast. I, it took me a while, you know, I got, I got high, well, I only spent two years in the minor leagues and then I got the Diamondbacks job and then I got immediately hired by the Rangers. And it wasn't until about year three year four that I started to kind of get a groove and all of a sudden I had to switch it up and I had to go TV with MLB network. And I had no idea how to do TV. I'd never done it before. So I had to learn on the fly. Mm. And it was really the last, so 20 was my last year, probably from 2017 on that's, that's finally at the point where I felt like I just, I could show up, put a headset on and, and do a broad. That's how comfortable I, I felt in my own skin and my own style but it took a while. I mean, that was, that's what, 12 years, 13 years of, of just kind of figuring it out and, and then finally settling in on, you know, not giving a shit what anybody says or thinks and <laughs> just doing what you do. And because um, I always looked at it, if I'm going to get blown out, might as well get blown out doing it my way as opposed to having regrets after the fact. I should have done this or I should have done that. So that's, that's how I treat everything. You know, I have treated everything for the last – you know, six, seven years. Oh, that, that's perfect for me. I think that's perfect for anybody else that's, that's listening along. That's young broadcasters or just maybe even life advice in general. You got to be who you are in the, in the best version of yourself as possible. Uh, so for me personally, thank you for that. I appreciate that, that advice. Um, Todd, any, any final thoughts here for Victor? Yeah. I've, you know, with all the, the, uh, iconic calls drive home safely, you know, um, you know, all, all the calls you've done over the years and big games you've been a part of with the Angels. Uh, as, as a fan, uh, I just would, and, you know, we've heard it from a lot of other people that, you know, when we've done other interviews, they've hit up Fernando and myself and also Dominique asking when we're going to interview you and uh, wishing you the best luck. I mean, 
obviously, if you haven't noticed, it's been a hard chair to fill since you've left. Uh, there's been a few people coming, going. Uh, it's it's hard to uh, replace what we feel is an icon. You know, uh, you you did an excellent job, and I just want to say thank you for all the wonderful memories you gave us as uh, Angel fans because you were the voice of the Angels with, along with Gooby on television. We really enjoyed a lot of your broadcasts. No, I, I appreciate it, man. It's, uh, that means a lot. And it was, uh, you know, there was a time there where I was sandwiched in between Ben in Los Angeles and Dick Enberg in San Diego. Mm-hmm. And uh, I always felt like, you know, Enberg was the odd man of that three, three person group, but it was really me. And it, like, which one, which one of these guys doesn't necessarily fit in that picture. And um, I never, I never once took it as, you know, like, Oh, I need to try to live up to this expectation of these hall of fame announcers. I'm just who I am. And it really didn't start. Like I said, didn't really start hitting me until about 17 or so where all of a sudden I've got kids coming up to me. It's like, man, I've been listening to you since I was eight (laughs) years old. And it's like, Whoa. It's like, like, cause you don't think about it because Mm -hmm. I've been going to a ballpark for 54 years, essentially. Right. That's like, it's like second nature to me. Mm-hmm. And so I never looked at it from a grand scale perspective, like the impact I'm having on lives and I'm communicating with this, you know, mass media with, with this fan base, never once looked at it that way. I always looked at it as from a standpoint of, Hey man, I'm, I'm going to talk some baseball, you know, <laughs> pull up a chair. Let's have some fun. I'm going to laugh. I'm going to goof around. I'm going to, you know, when things are bad, I'm going to make you forget about what's happening on the field. And that was, that's kind of how I looked at it. And it was when, you know, fans started to come up to me and or send me a message on Twitter. It's like, man, I first started listening. I moved to Southern California when I was 10 and now I'm, you know, 18 or nine. Like that was mind blown. You know what I mean? And yeah. Um, so I, I have a deeper appreciation for touching the lives of fans in one way or the other, <laughs> positive or negatively, whatever. Um, but it's been cool to, to get that feedback. And the good thing is, you know, I've never taken myself seriously. Uh, mm-hmm. And I think that's what helps settle me in. It's like not quit worrying about all the other ancillary stuff and just kind of do you and whatever. And that's why I am today with you the way I was, you know, five years ago in the broadcast booth and I was with my family. And, you know, I'm just a dude that happened to get lucky and did broadcasting for 18 years. So I, I appreciate the sentiment. Well, yeah, I mean, we just feel that you're just one of the guys and you're talking about our team and, and someone that we could easily see ourselves having a beer with or discussing baseball. So I think that's how you related a lot to the fans, and that's why we appreciate it. You're, you're just like you said, you're yourself and you were real. Well, it's my sincere honor and pleasure. Thank you, nah, we love it, man. Thank you so much today for Victor for taking the time out and uh, enjoy the rest of the Frisco Rough Riders homestand against the Wichita Wind Surge. Looking for uh, – a playoff push here in the second half for the Rough Riders. Yeah, we'll see if we can get there, man. I appreciate you guys, and uh, sorry it took so long to finally get hooked up, but I'm glad we did. No worries. Oh, no. It was definitely worth the wait. I think I think Todd and I can agree that it was it was very worth it. We appreciate it so much. Absolutely. All right, guys. All right, take care. Take care, fellas.